Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word from the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through to the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him, From there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel at the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we restart a sermon series from last year, re-engaging Genesis then and now, we pray For this Sunday and all subsequent, that you would give us your Holy Spirit of illumination to cause us to understand this, your very word, and be swept into deeper relationship and communion with you, our triune God. Father, thank you for your great love by which you sent Jesus to live with us, die for us, rise again, welcome us by grace. Jesus, thank you for the Spirit who proceeds from you and from the Father who brings us back to you, illumines your word. Do the good work, Father, that we trust that you will do during the reading and preaching of your scriptures. We pray and plead with you even now. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. You may be seated. Time. Time. As time keeps slipping, slipping, slipping into the future, How do you experience time in real time? Is your perspective that time is building? It's going somewhere. This is going to be great. I'm so excited. Or is it dwindling on the other hand? Ah, it's not that special. The tickets are still, the clock is still ticking, pattering away, petering out but things aren't going to get better. They're just going to keep going. How do you experience time? Well, it depends on your story. 
what story you're living in, what we like to talk about here at Liberty Collingswood, what the narrative frame is that you carry for your own life. Are you hopeful or are you cynical when it comes to time? Bruce Springsteen is a singer-songwriter from New Jersey, and one of my favorite songs by him over the past 20 years is the title track of 2019's album, Western Stars, a really great album. And funnily enough, the best review or treatment that I've seen anywhere of Western Stars actually occurred locally. NJ Penn has a great article about Western Stars. You can Google it, Western Stars, Bruce Springsteen, NJPenn.com. Great write-up on the album. But Western Stars, it's a song the protagonist in the song is a washed-up actor, kind of think Bill Murray, Lost in Translation, if you've seen that movie. Used to be a little bit of a big actor, but now he's just doing commercials, playing out the string. And there's a great line in the song that I'm going to tell you right now. The protagonist says, Now these days, there ain't no more. Now it's just again. It takes a second to wrap your mind around that line. These days... As time goes by, it's not more, it's just again. And if time is more, that's kind of like the time is building. It's going somewhere. There's a purpose. There's a direction. There's a momentum. There's a build. And over time, things are going to get richer and fuller and better, more. But for this protagonist, and I think for many of us, the time isn't more, it's just again, repeat at best, but probably going to get worse. That's the pessimism. That's the cynicism. Where are you as you go through your days? Some of you know that a week and a half ago, my wife Emily and I, we dropped off our oldest child, Josiah, at college. First time drop-off. And that was two Wednesdays ago, walking around campus with student intake day. I was looking at the other parents. And I thought to myself, yikes, all of these parents look really old. And then at one point during the drop-off day, I stepped into the bathroom, caught a look at myself in the mirror, and said, oh, I see. <laughs> and I started thinking, these parents don't look that old. They're really looking quite good and spry for, for their ages and stages of life. But it was, it was a milestone. And I had to check myself a couple of times. Because even then I felt pride, excitement, but then a little bit of cynicism for myself seeping in, as in, boy, I'm about half over. I'm looking at the back nine right now. It's not going to get better from here. It's going to get worse. Things are going to peter out. There's not going to be more. It's just going to be again. May as well pack it in. Even on paper, as a follower of Jesus, my story, and I didn't write it, it's the best story ever. In Jesus Christ, God is redeeming the world by grace and mercy and power, and that things are going somewhere all the way to a new heavens and new earth. And in the meantime, by the mission of the church and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world, we're welcomed by grace into this great sweep of history that really is going somewhere. That's where I am on paper. But that doesn't mean necessarily that at every point, I'm passionate about that story, and I'm living it out. 
And so at various points, including recently, I felt to myself, I need renewed. I need renewal in my own life. I think too much of the time for us, or at least for me, what we think about time and where it's going, we're on a continuum between blah and bad. At best, the forwarding of time is blah, nah, or it just gets worse from there. And I think it's getting harder in today's day and age to actually be really excited about where life is going. Because life is so crazy and so disjointed and so fragmented. Indulge me one more time with an old man story. During college drop-off, went to an independent bookstore in this boutique-y little town, Woodstock, Vermont. And when I go to an independent bookstore for the first time, I like to buy a book to fight the man. Buying book, fight the man an independent bookstore. And there was a book there that was about the, the graying of classic rock artists. What do we do when the classic rock from the mid to late 20th century, that's the foundation for so much joy and so much culture, including for me, they're aging out. And so bought the book, read it, starting that college drop-off period, and I would go, yes, yes, yes. This is true. This is universal truth. About 50 pages through the book, I, the author started talking more about his own story and autobiography. I realized that he's a suburban, middle American white guy who was literally born within two months of me. And so I'm like, well, this might not be universal truth, but it's, it's still good. It's still really good stuff right here. This is what he said, talking about how the old days were better. The internet isn't nearly as good at telling stories as the radio was. It's true. And what he's meaning to say there is that in a fragmented, fractured world, stringing together positive stories and narratives for ourselves and other people is really hard. Instead, in Eliot's image, we're just this heap of broken images. So we need renewed. We have Bruce Springsteen on one hand, and on the other hand, let me offer to you Walt Disney, specifically in this way, Disney World. When I was maybe eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, I went with my folks to Disney World, the one in Orlando, and I had two favorite rides or things at Disney World. Anybody want to guess, shout out what I liked the best at Disney World? No? No? I, I don't think I heard anybody say it. Haunted Mansion. Did anybody say Haunted Mansion? Okay, so Haunted Mansion. And then the other one, this is a little bit of a dark horse, Hall of Presidents. Has anybody been to the Hall of Presidents in, in Orlando? So this, this was my experience. This is my truth with Hall of Presidents. You go to Hall of Presidents, and it's a retrospective on U.S. history told animatronically by a lot of old U.S. presidents and other historical figures speaking to the better angels of our past. Now, I realize that in the cultural moment today, history is one of those ideological battlegrounds. I don't recall the content of Hall of Presidents when I was eight years old. I don't know where it fits in with those current discussions or where it falls. But I do know that for eight-year-old Jimmy, I was electrified. I thought, this is great. Hey, wait a second. They're talking about America. That's where I live right now. This is my story. I am energized. 
I'm part of this. This is great. Let's go. Let's build. And that's my prayer as we re-engage this ministry year, the sermon series that we began last year from Genesis. That as we again access Genesis, starting in chapter 12 here, that we would be ignited by this story. That you would access and engage the story in such a way that you would understand, this is my story. This is not just any story, but I fit in to this story, this history that occurred so long ago. This is about me. Let's go. Let's build. They even see the call. Now Abram appeared and said, God appeared to Abram and said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Liberty Collingswood, go from pandemic period. Liberty Collingswood, go from lethargy. Liberty Collingswood, go from polarization. Liberty Collingswood, go from all of your fears into this new thing that I have prepared for you in mission for the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing this year. We didn't talk about it as much over this summer. That was by design. This is year two of our represence initiative starting now, relaunching our church into a post-COVID and post-Christian world. Here we go. And what we're doing here in our story actually has everything to do with this ancient story. And I wouldn't blame you. Whether this or otherwise, you might be a little skeptical. You might be a little cynical. Even about all this God stuff altogether. Is this true? Is it real? Is it good for me? Is it good for my family? Is it good for my world? Could this be me? But I think with our cynicism and skepticism, that moves us in a direction of time just being again when it's dwindling. But would we have the courage to dare to hope that God has more, richer, fuller, better? And it's a story written in grace. So I know that was a little bit of a long introduction. We have two breezy parts from here, from Genesis chapter 12. This is your story. And it's an urgent story. This is your story, and it's an urgent story. The story so far, all of the old Genesis sermons are on the website. You can go back and listen to them at your leisure, as well as postsundayblues at gmail.com. And to recap the first 11 chapters, we've had creation. God created the heavens and the earth. Adam and Eve, our first parents. We've had fall, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When things start to go bad, then they go really bad. We have murder. We have flood. And then in Genesis chapter 11, right before this, we have Babel and Tabel. Babel and Tabel. Those two things. Tower of Babel. That's when things start to go really wrong. Humanity comes together and says, let's make a name for ourselves. Build a tower up to heaven. God's got to take notice of us now, how good we are. Instead, they're scattered. And then also the table of nations. This long list of nations that details the scattering of the world when we are confused and messed up and fragmented and broken, and yet something good is brewing. You can go back and look towards the end of Genesis chapter 11. There's this guy mentioned, his name is Abram. And readers of Genesis will know that guy is going to become Abraham. God has big plans for him. He's in Ur, the land of Ur, Upper Mesopotamia, moving towards Canaan, which at that time was God's promised land. 
pit stop in Haran. We'll see where it goes from there. We meet Sarai, also a big part of the plan. She becomes later on Sarah. The only detail given about her is that she's barren. She can't have children. That's going to figure prominently into the story too. But from all of these fragmented pieces, Babel and Table, with some hope of good brewing, God gives a new call to Abram. Now the Lord told Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Then verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Also added to it in verse 7, to your offspring I will give this land. It's a new call that both reaches backward and forward. Reaching backward, I will make your name great, God says here to Abram. That's ironic because that's exactly what the people in the Tower of Babel wanted to do. Let's build up this great tower, they say in Genesis chapter 11. We'll make a great name for ourselves. God scatters them. He scatters us. But then God tells Abram, I'll make your name great. Upshot, it's not for us to make our name great. It's a lot of hubris and pride that it is for God. God will do great things in our midst. And also the table of nations in Genesis chapter 11. Lexically speaking, there's a lot of little clues and callbacks in this passage here that connects back. God is doing a new thing from all of these broken pieces and then looking forward to as the first 11 chapters of Genesis connect with what's to follow the God of all creation Genesis 1 to 11 is the Lord of Israel moving his story forward and then from Israel God will bless will bless all of creation once again and he's going to do it by his covenant And we're going to park on the word covenant here for just a minute. It's a theological term. Some of you may be familiar with it. Some of you may not. Some of you may think, that's a church word. Good for you, church word. I'll just keep doing my own thing. What is covenant? It's a really big deal. It doesn't appear in word in this passage, but it does in concept. And this covenant that God makes with Abraham is going to be added on to in subsequent chapters. So we'll get Genesis 12 here, then Genesis 15, 17, 22, building up this covenant. What is it? What is covenant? It's a how. God will save his people how? And a lot of different definitions of covenant, if you use Mr. Google, you can find them online. Sort of like this. The covenant is the structure of God's promises by which he will save his people. God's covenant is the structure of the promises by which he will save his people. And here's the illustration for it, the analogy. I've never seen anybody else or read anybody else use this analogy for covenant ever. Therefore, I'm 100% certain that this is going to go great. Covenant. God's covenant is like a Russian nesting doll. In this way. Russian nesting doll. Do you know what a Russian... If if you don't know what a Russian nesting doll is, I am out of luck right here. Russian nesting doll. They're wood. And it starts with a little wooden doll. 
But then there's another little wooden doll that you put on top of it. It looks exactly like the other little wooden doll. And then another little, little wooden doll on top of that. Then another doll, another doll, another doll. All the same doll, but getting bigger. That's kind of like God's covenant promises to us. God's promises, his covenant to save us, it's all one promise, all one through line. God begins his kingdom at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. God's people in his presence, in his place. Building from there, we mess up with sin. Starting with Abraham, then God's covenant is going to have to be of grace or else there's no people to save. God's got to be gracious to us. But again with Abraham and Sarai, and then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God's people with his presence in his place. God's covenant trajectory continues from there. And this is the Russian nesting dolls being built up one by one on top of each other. Then to Moses, God's people, his presence, his place, the tabernacle, coming into the nation of Israel. King David, building into that covenant promise. And you might not realize when God makes his covenant with David, King David later on in Israel, he makes this promise that, Far along the way, someone will sit on your throne and it will be for all time. He uses the language of this passage here. That's all in first, or 2 Samuel 7, 9. In the midst of God's promises to David, he says, And I will make for you a great name. Referencing this passage. The nesting dolls continue. The covenant moves forward and culminates all the way to Jesus of Nazareth. And it's no coincidence that in the Gospel of Luke, one of the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life that we find at the very beginning of the New Testament, when Jesus' Messiah bursts on the scene, there's a callback not just anywhere, but specifically to the covenant that God made with Abram. Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat of Mary, when she knows that she is going to bear the Messiah, among other things, she prays this. God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Referencing this passage, it's all coming true. Or Zechariah, when John the Baptist, his son, is born to Elizabeth, the herald of the Messiah, he says this, that God has come to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, referencing this passage. As if to say, by God's covenant, he's getting the band back together. It's all coming true. And this promise of Jesus of Nazareth coming as Messiah occurred in a period of sad and dark where it was commonly held, we haven't heard from God in a while. We haven't had prophets. We haven't had new books of the Bible written. We're under foreign occupation again. Is any of this true for a lot of Jewish people in Israel and surroundings, especially for ones that were Hellenizing, becoming more Greco-Roman in their culture? A little bit like Han in episode four, thinking about the force. It's, it's not true. It's all that hokey religion, and ancient weapons. Nobody believes that stuff anymore. That's what people in Israel felt. There's no promised land. There's no God in the sky who called us his special people. We've just been occupied over and over and over again. It's all old fairy tales. But no. God has been faithful to his covenant a whole time. And the New Testament reflects on this. 
And the book of Hebrews, which is another Old Te- or New Testament book, looks back on Abraham, this story, and says, he's been chasing the same thing that we are. It's all one story, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, that's Canaan, as in a foreign land. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, not this one, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, acknowledging they were strangers and exiles. But as, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. The author of Hebrews, so many years later than Abraham in the New Testament, is saying what Abraham was moving towards is the new heavens and new earth. And that's where we're going to. Are the very early apostles reflecting on what all of this means, that Jesus is crucified, died, buried, resurrected again? Peter and John, Acts chapter 3, the very early history of the church, tell the crowds, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and then your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Referencing this very passage. And here's what's most fascinating to me. Go back to Russian doll one more time. Comparing covenant to Russian doll goes in both directions with that nesting doll. On one hand, God's covenant builds and builds and builds and builds and expands through Jesus. The call of faith goes to all nations, not just to one nation anymore. It's not just one plot of ground in the Middle East, but the new heavens and new earth coming. It expands, nesting doll expanding. But then there's another sense in which that it focuses and focuses and focuses and focuses all the way back to one person again, Jesus. Because he's the center of all of it. And fascinatingly to me, the Apostle Paul, in one of his letters to the Galatian church, his letter to the Galatian church, chapter 3, he takes that nesting doll covenant and uses it in both directions. This is the last Bible verse reference I'll give you for today. Paul says earlier in Galatians 3, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And you all the nations shall be blessed. And you are the offspring. You are the seed. You are the inheritors of the promise. Nesting doll getting bigger. But then later in that same chapter, Paul says this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but to one. And to your offspring, quote unquote, who is Christ. You see, offspring, or it can be translated seed as a collective noun. It can be many within that collective, many seedlings within the seed, many offspring, offsprings within the offspring. But Paul says you can focus it back to just one. The promise is the whole time to Abraham and his offspring. We're about this one Jesus, the climax of all of it. Now, you might be sitting here wondering, who cares? Who cares? That's a nice theology lesson, maybe, <laughs> at best. Who cares? We are in a similarly sad and dark time. As when Jesus burst onto the scene all of those years ago. 
we're in an ad age of sad and dark. Said earlier, what's time doing? Well, we think it's dwindling. That, that's our lived story so much of the time. At best, it's blah, it can go bad. And I think for a lot of people, our baseline, maybe unreflected upon story, where we just go through our days, we'll think to ourselves, whether you're here as a Christian or somebody exploring faith or putting pieces together, whatever it is, bottom line, I just want to be good, I want to do good, and hopefully I get good. I think a lot of us, we just fall into that boat. Be good, do good, hopefully get good. Why? Ever ask that question? Our earth is on fire in so many different ways, including literally. We've had another summer of these crazy extreme climate events. We're becoming acclimatized to crazy climate stuff happening. And very few scientists say, don't worry, it's going to get a lot better from here. Most of them say worse. Politically, we're on fire, more and more polarized. And there are many different political opinions in this room that's good and healthy. But probably to a person, there's some news where we're really happy about some stuff, and then we're really terrified about some stuff. Wars are going up. Economies are going down. Do we really want to look at the news headlines and say, this is going to be great? But instead, as we look to the biblical story, we see a story with resilience and roots for today. Time is not just again and dwindling, but God has promised more. There is a richer and fuller and better future to come if we dare to move towards God and towards this world in faith and hope. And it's an urgent story. We'll cover this more quickly. I knocked on wood, I think it was last week or maybe a couple weeks ago, pandemics receding a little bit, Right? Don't want to say that too loud, but students, didn't school feel a little more normal this year than the past couple, right? When, okay, I have this vague memory of pre-pandemic school that looked a little bit more like the school year that just started for us right now. When we dropped off our son Josiah at college, the tour guides and the upperclassmen that were doing different stuff, orienting the, the, the younger students, those men and women were saying, you're lucky. I came to campus two years ago. And I didn't meet another student until one year ago. So you have it a lot better right now. As things get back to normal a little bit, there's still that great shuffling and great sorting and great resignation that's occurring at the same time, right? So people are saying, ah, I could do all those other things that I used to do before pandemic. I choose not to. Or I'm going to do these other things instead. And I never want to sound like the old causer that says it was better back then. There are actually a lot of healthy things, I think, with the great shuffle or great sort going on right now where we can be more intentional about what we want to do and what we don't want to do. I would simply say, be intentional about what you want to do and commend to you God being part of his mission in Jesus Christ. Don't just fall into whatever old patterns come your way. Take paths of least resistance back to whatever your future might hold. Commit to doing something hard, namely following the God and community of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jesus to be part of this story. Because it's truly the best story in the world. It's an urgent story for us, among other things, because it's a story of grace through and through. As we wrap up this passage here, Abraham goes, but God helps. Abram went verse 4 as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. 
Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And by what happens next, we might infer, hey, this is not quite as easy as we thought. All right, a second. Abraham, go to the land I will show you, to Canaan. Abraham gets there and maybe says, the only problem with Canaan is that it's full of Canaanites. And they might not be friendly. What do I do with that? But God shows up and graciously helps. God spoke to Abram before, but it says in verse 7, then God appeared. God appears and repeats. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I shall give this land. Abraham might be wavering. The text doesn't say that for sure, but maybe so. Because now he's showing up. You need strengthening. I need to give you more. And if you're wavering, now that you're actually seeing, have you ever, not everybody in this room owns a house, but for those of you that have gone house or even apartment shopping, the apartment looks great online. You actually show up, and it's like, this place for this much money? Something must be wrong. Maybe Abram is getting sticker shock. Canaan. It's this land. To your offspring, I will give this land. You can trust me. And being at the Oak of Moray, that foreshadows as well. This is basically the same area where in Genesis 22, God will ask Abram to sacrifice his son Isaac. When at the last minute, God says, don't do that. I'll provide a substitute. Leading us forward to Jesus, who is the substitute who died on the cross for us. Let me pay the penalty for your sin myself. All of us have a bill to pay before a holy God, but I am so loving and gracious that I will satisfy the justice and wrath of God on my body that you would be free. Come to me by faith. And so as we rebuild, let's go, let's build. We receive by grace the identity that Jesus gives to us. And I foresee in the years to come an age of deep identity fatigue, where we put this pressure on all of us, especially our young people, that it is up to you to self-generate every aspect of your identity from the bottom up, only on the basis of how you feel at a given moment. That's a lot to build. Jesus gives us the opportunity to receive. And it's not based on a principle or a practice, but a person that loves you through and through and through an identity that is durable. And this is also a just story. Another book I picked up recently, Excuse the Mild Profanity, it's the title of the book. Hell of a Book is the name of the book. Won the National Book Award recently. It's a story uh, by a black author about a black author in the book who's going on a book tour. There's a lot of whimsy and a lot of fun, but then also a meditation on the travails of living as a black person in the U.S. It's a really heavy book, and it just reminds me all over again, our world is not right. But this is a just story. Notice how in the call to Abram, way at the beginning, the charter of the covenant, God says, and you, all the families, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, not just one. There's no tribe that's privileged against all of the others either ideologically or ethnically. And I believe as we press ahead for a just world, we have the resources for doing so in the gospel and also the hope that shields us from burnout. And burnout is real. And finally, this is a story that demands an urgent response from us. 
Abraham is a model of faith for us here. He's not always going to be a model of faith starting next week. If you want to see Abram brought down a notch, come back next week. You'll see him doing some not, good, not so good things. But here he's a model. So Abram went as the Lord told him. That's the author of Genesis saying, good job, Abram. Abram went as the Lord told him. God spoke. Abram obeyed. And that's the call upon all of us to be people that hear and go. Every story that's worth its salt demands a response. And any story, any narrative that is upon you or within you that just lets you sit there and relax and not have to do or change anything, that's a bad story. This story says, whether ideologically, practically, behaviorally, with every part of yourself, Jesus demands radical renovation as he gives you radical grace. As we're called to faith in the seed of Abraham, even Jesus, and so we journey. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. And here at Liberty Collingswood, similarly, we journey. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.